Hello, our dear listeners. Um, it's episode four of the Sky Lounge podcast, and today we have two two amazing guests, Alejandro and Jeff. And of course, I'll let David say hi as well. David, hi. Hi, everyone. Sorry about the host voice, but uh, I almost lost it last week. But it's back. Thank goodness for that. So I'm gonna. I'm not gonna talk too much, but I'm gonna jump in as and when I can. No worries, David. You sound even smarter than you are in your normal condition, and your in your normal condition, you are already very smart. So all good, all good. <laughs> and now I will let Alejandro and uh, Jeff say a few words about themselves. Please, can you introduce yourself, guys? Please, Jeff, go ahead. Okay, uh, my name is Jeff O'Neill. I'm originally from San Francisco, California, and I'm a very passionate aviation entrepreneur. Um, I'm also a customer who travels very frequently, so I'm trying to solve um, my own problems uh, as a consumer in the industry and try to make air travel better for everyone. I think one of the main starting points is to uh, to make, make air travel more affordable, more enjoyable, and much more personalized. And my name is Alejandro Núñez. I am a designer, 23-year-old currently. Just came out fresh from university a couple of years ago, and I was also a frequent traveler, not as Jeff, but because I had to go to university in the UK and then in the Netherlands. And basically, I found a lot of trouble flying economy class, uh, and I decided to, desi to design my own economy class seat, uh, double level. And now, yeah, I have my own startup and I work on it full time, trying to change the passenger experience for the future of the economy class. Well, beautiful. You mentioned, Alejandro, your, uh, well, I call it double-decker. I don't know if you like it or not. They call your product double-decker. I think what we will do now before starting our conversation with both of you, um, I'll also let you uh, say just a few words about your product, about the company. Um, and the reason for that, I think it's, it's very important that our listeners understand what you guys are working on. It will also give a perspective because you, for Focus on slightly different cabins, I might say. Yeah, yeah. So I'll go first if you want, Jeff, because it's the the cheapest one. So I'll go first. I am doing the economy class seating. It's a double level. We don't like to call it double decker because it's it sounds like <laughs> the London bus. No problem. Uh, we call it double level economy class seating, which basically means that we have one structure with two seats at different heights. Uh, to provide passengers with more space per passenger within the economy class uh, headcount uh, and to provide airlines with more upselling options for the economy class cabin. At the end of the day, what we want to do is optimize the space within the cabin so that passengers are happier and more comfortable and at the same time, airlines can be more efficient and sell tickets in, in, with higher prices in order to make uh, more benefit out of this economy class cabin as well. Thank you. Thanks, Alejandro. Uh, Jeff, what about, what about uh, you know, your, your seating solution? M mine actually is a double-decker, and I'm very proud to say uh, we are also utilizing uh, space more efficiently, but in a little bit of a different way. So what we found is missing in the industry is a middle category. So something between a very premium business class product and a standard economy seat. 
We do not believe that premium economy class seats go far enough in offering consumers more value. Uh, and therefore, the prices that airlines charge are not usually worth it to the traveler. So we're trying to optimize where space is currently underutilized and, and obviously under uh, paid by the airlines, which is the overhead bin space, and we're utilizing the vertical dimension. So we're building a modern, a modern day bunk bed and applying it to a commercial airframe. And we hope that by doing so, uh, consumers will be able to access more affordable in-flight sleeping options, privacy, and uh, kind of more of a general comfort. Wow, that's that's really interesting. And like I said at the beginning, I have a vested interest in this in this podcast. Oh, I tr- I travel not as much as Alex, but a lot of the flights we do I do is pretty long haul. And I say we because it's a family as well. So just talking about, uh, I think three weeks ago, yeah, four weeks ago, uh, I had to take economy. Uh, it was about an eight-hour flight, so not as bad as going to the States, yeah, which you're talking about 14 hours plus. And I like seeing, looking out of the window, you know. I mean, I had the option, it was a 787, so I had, you know, I had the window option. But then I said, oh my God, I want the window, but I'm going to get stuck if the flight is full, you know. You just can't get out, right? But I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the window. And luckily, it was a night flight. But you know what it is, you know, after the initial excitement of looking out of the window and, and the, 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 the aircraft gets into the air, you watch your picture and then you're stuck, right? You try to stretch, you try to move, you can't, right? And then again, I had to limit my liquid intake because, you know, people are sleeping, you can't jump over them literally as well. <laughs> so, so you, you know, so for me, it was like, oh my goodness me, when are these, when are the two, you know, my co-passengers going to get up and when can I go to to the toilet. That was my sort of, you know, in my head. And that was a seven, eight hour flight. So when I look at a longer flight and a full flight, you know, and if it's a full flight, it becomes even worse. So I look at all those beautiful people in business and first class, if it has one, they get out so fresh and refreshed at the end of the flight. But the people right at the back are like, oh my goodness me, thank God I'm on the ground. You know, thank God I can stretch my legs. So, I mean, I just wanted to share that because it actually, you know, People look at planes, you know, the Paris Air Show, you know, 1,200 plus orders, right? Uh, People look at liveries, go gaga about liveries, myself included. But we don't have so much discussion about what is the key element of every airline. That's the seat, right? So, So I'm really, really happy that we've got not one, but two people really passionate about about seats. So, Alex and I consider ourselves aviation geeks, but I think on this podcast, we've got two seat geeks as well. So I, I, so for me, before we go into, you know, the product and the future, I just want to try and understand from a personal perspective, you know, for Jeff and Alejandro, what makes you so passionate about this humble seat? You know, it's just a chair. It's just a normal chair, you know, put into a plane. What actually makes you so passionate about it? Than a chair, actually, it's the it's the only thing I I can say when I'm when I talk about airplane seats. It's not just a piece of furniture and it's not just a chair. It's what attaches you to a flying can if thirty five thousand feet above the ocean level. So yeah, it's it's a chair, but at the end of the day, it's what takes you from point A to point B, and it doesn't matter if it's economy. 
business, premium economy, at the end of the day is the only attachment point between you and the aircraft while you are not standing. So yeah, I think it has a lot to do with the passenger experience and you were right when you said that it's the number one touch point of the passengers. And the funny thing is that we now hear all the airlines, we're going to improve the, per the passenger experience by making the checking easier and making this and that easier. But they never get to touch the economy class seats, for example, which is the number one touch point for 70, 80% of the, of the cabin. So yeah, for me, it's more than a seat. It's more than a piece of furniture. It's more of like a way to, to change of place within the world, if you know what I mean. You, you are in point A in Europe and then you end up in point B in the Middle East. You change from nature in Europe to the desert and whatever, whatever happens in the middle, it happens on top of that seat. So yeah, for me, it's not just a seat and that's why I'm so passionate about it. And I'm sure Jeffrey has a better explanation even. Actually is very related to what I do every day. So I actually run a travel business right now And what I do is I teach consumers how to value, how to get value from frequent flyer miles. So I personally have spent the past 15 years becoming an expert on how to earn and redeem frequent flyer miles, mostly for business and first class air tickets, for which there is unlimited demand from end consumers. And, by, and in doing so, what I realize is the, the lengths to which people will go for an upgrade you would be so surprised to learn the amount of time and stress that is wasted on consumers who buy the cheapest seat on a plane and spend all the time before their flight trying to find a way to improve what they purchased in the past to make it better, to have a better experience. I do this for a living. People pay me quite a bit of money to actually help them figure out how to get value from something. And what I want to do is try to create a more universally valuable product and experience for everyone. And I think that's, that's where the industry really lags. And the reason behind this is because airlines are not considered a hospitality industry. They are a commoditized transportation provider. So they're not in the business of making sure that, that passengers feel good. That's not the business that they're in. They're in the transportation business. So the physical environment that, that travelers occupy is a very important part of their trip. But when is the last time you've ever heard someone tell you that the highlight of their holiday was the journey they took to get there and back? That is never the highlight of someone's experience. So my, the reason why I'm doing this is because I really believe that there's a way to change not only the perception of airlines, but the perception of how hospitality can be incorporated into the entire flight experience. And the most important part of that is the physical space that you occupy because that's really what you're paying for. And that environment in, in most planes today has become very standardized. It all looks the same. Every business class seat looks exactly the same. We've already set standards in place for what people want to receive in a business class product, but the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the cabins have not been challenged. So the status quo remains the same. I couldn't hide my smile when you were talking, Jeff, especially about, you know, the part where people buy the cheapest fare and then desperately trying to upgrade because I can relate so much. That's quite often my strategy because I am always thinking that I'm the smartest, so I'm gonna get the, the basics, the lightest economy fare possible and then try to upgrade. But uh, yeah, you are so right. 
example for you. Have you ever heard of a company called Plusgrade? Okay, so you might know it, obviously, Alexandra, but Plusgrade is a Canadian company that's based in Montreal, and they are a technology provider that helps airlines upsell and create a bidding platform for, for travelers who want to upgrade from economy to business. Their company is valued at over a billion dollars. I cannot name any, any airline, I mean, not the top, under the top 10 that are worth a billion dollars. And all they are is a technology provider. They are meeting the needs of travelers who say, hey, I bought economy. I wish I didn't buy economy. I don't want to sit in economy for the next 12 hours. Can you please help me? And they help to, to monetize perishable inventory and seats that airlines cannot sell themselves. If airline seats were more fairly priced and they were valued at what consumers were actually willing to pay, there would be a lot, a lot more demand for people to travel more frequently and certainly in much, much more premium seats. But just one example of that's a billion dollar company that has no physical product. It's all a technology platform. So just for comparison, I think Spirit Airlines as an entire company is worth $3 billion. <laughs> so it, it's just, it's, it's, it's just, it's just quite surprising when you, when you think about the power that technology has, um, how that can enhance someone's journey, but we don't actually stop to think about the physical product that someone's going to sit in. It's very strange. Yeah, exactly. That's what we also talked about uh, when we prepared for this episode with David, that technology is advancing, yet we often hear that airline industry is sort of stagnant and very slow on innovation, on things like that. Um, we see it in all areas, right, of uh, airline industry and technology. But what do you think about seats specifically? What are the, the most recent, the hottest trends in airline seating? Can be whatever materials, um, I don't know. You, you know this topic definitely much better than us. Yeah, so I would say that nowadays uh, everyone is focused on lightweight, so trying to make the seats lighter in weight. But it's quite funny because it, I find it like some kind of paradox where they try to make economy class seats very lightweight, but then you go to the business class seats and they still weigh like, what, 60, 70 kilograms per unit, which is crazy. And then the economy class seat, they are trying to fight out 100 more grams, 200 more grams out of, the, out of every seat. So, yeah, I think it's definitely sustainability, uh, efficiency, trying to make it lighter in weight. But then at the same time, when they are talking about business class, they don't really care about the weight. It's not really a problem. It's just one kilogram more, one kilogram less. Who cares about that? We're giving the premium service. So I think it's, it's funny in a way because you see the airline industry talking about all these topics and you see all the manufacturers, OEMs, airlines talking about how sustainable they want to become by 2030 with the, with the sustainable development goals and all these all these sustainability topics being talked about right now but then if you look at the hard truth about it they are not really doing much they are just shaving off uh, a little bit of material here and there in order to make the business class uh, heavier again or at least maintain its weight 
So yeah, I think there's this trend of going into lighter materials and lighter seats, but at the end of the day, nothing will change. It will it will still remain the same as things are right now. That's why I think Jeff and I are trying to take a radical innovation approach into the seating of the cabin and trying to rethink the cabin as a whole because it's very it's very nice that all airlines have the same type of aircraft and they all have the same type of engineering and flooring systems and railing systems but at the same time they're all the same you look into the economic class of the best airline and the worst airline in the world and there will be a difference of the slightly more modern seat or the old aircraft seat but you look at it take a picture in black and white you cannot tell the difference so i i i see certain trends coming up but i don't see any big changes going on right now in the aircraft interiors cabin yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I think actually what has happened is that you've seen a standardization plateau, especially in business class. So previously, when when British Airways launched the original business class seat, it was a 242 forward-facing, very straightforward, lie-flat product. Now the the industry norm is 121, and in many cases, 121 with doors. So there's not really much more customization. I think what is really popular now is privacy, is travelers are demanding more in terms of distance and space from people that they do not know, and they are valuing privacy more than they're valuing space or comfort. They would prefer to be away and more distant, not only because of COVID, but just because that's what leisure travelers are looking for. And now that they've become more frequent than most business travelers, um, you know, the needs of, of those people are permanently changing. So what we're seeing is a lot of airlines rethinking how they orient business class seats and how many seats they're going to put into a standard plane. Uh, you're looking at different concepts for ultra long haul flights. But, you know, I mean, again, to what Alex said, nothing has been changed. Absolutely nothing in premium economy or economy class on any airline anywhere in the world, period. No, I, I completely agree with you. And I was just thinking, right, from the time I was a kid as well, you know, it's the same sort of, you know, seat configuration in this metal tube. The only difference is how many you get in a row, right? So obviously, if you take, uh, you know, Airbus the 350, right now it's, uh, you know, it's 333, but there are configurations with 343. So you've got another sort of seat squeezed, you know, into it. And then you wonder, how did they get that space, right? But that's the limit. You can't squeeze another seat in, right? I bet. I would say that you bet on that. And we'll see in a couple of years. <laughs> I know. I know. I could be. I could be proved wrong. I could be proved wrong. Way you get another row in as well, right? So you sort of there are so many permutation and and co- uh, you know caught co- co- uh, you know co- combinations. And if you look at Alex, that's your jigsaw at the back of you, correct? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so for me, that map is uh, seats are somehow like that jigsaw, right? How many how many business class can I get, and how many premium economy? How many more economy can I squeeze in? And I use the word squeeze because that's literally what airlines are doing, right? And unfortunately, that's the there's a limit to how many you can squeeze. And so I think looking at both your concepts, the only way you can go is up, right? So I would sort of look at an aircraft like Hong Kong. Right. Hong Kong, you have an issue for space. What do you do? You go up. So I think, you know, yeah, but I I was just thinking, you know, taking the concepts that both of you all have, you know, the stacked and the double decker. I wish the 380 has been is going to be around for longer 
just imagine, you know, you take a 380 and you have a stack concept on the 380. Wow, you know, that's going to be really luxury in economy. Forget the shower and forget the, you know, the bar, you know, I'm, I'm happy with that part of it. So the question I have is, as we see Asia, India, China, you know, these are all growth markets. You're going to have millions of people, whether you take 1% or 2% of the population, millions of people traveling. I get it with domestic, you know, one hour, two hours, fair enough. You can, you know, squeeze into a flight, that's fair enough. You can put But them on a wooden talk, bench and no one could complain. Exactly. <laughs> or, or you can put them standing, you know, holding on to something and still nobody would complain. But more and more of these people are going to travel. They're going to travel longer. They're going to travel, you know, and yes, you're talking about the 321 LRs, XLRs and all that, but it still comes down to the seat, right? So... Coming back to your concepts, and of course, I've, I've read the interviews with regard to things like hand baggage and stuff like that. You know, on a narrow body aircraft, I get a little bit claustrophobic. You know, when you have all this tax space, you know, uh, isn't it going to become a little bit like crowded? You know, you know, people are one on top of the other. I'm looking behind my shoulder and I say, oh my God, there's somebody up there. So isn't that a little bit from a design perspective, not so, I would call it nice? even from a privacy perspective, yeah? Yeah, I think you are talking about the economic class, the, the chaise long that we have developed, right? Uh, in terms of the claustrophobia, you get the same space, head clearance from the module in front of you as you get nowadays with the seat in front of you. It's true that there's someone that will be higher if you're seated on the lower row. However, it doesn't affect your personal space. And of course, if you're traveling for one, two, three hours, the seats will be as basic as possible. But if we're talking for more than four or five hours, then you would probably want a little bit more of comfort. And if you're able to fully stretch your leg, legs forward, then there are trade-offs that you as a passenger will be willing to make. So uh, we don't call it more claustrophobic. Even the lower row is not more claustrophobic. It's just more private. And that's true because we are creating different spaces. So you have the upper row, which is very open. You get to see the whole of the cabin from up there. And then you have the lower row, which is much more private. It contains the noise much better, which is actually a very good point for people who travel with kids. You know, nowadays when you go on a long haul flight and you hear the kid crying at the beginning of the, at the, beginning of the flight, you're like, oh my God, this is going to be terrible. And I'm not going to be able to sleep. So if you are on different compartments at different heights, then you can probably put the kids on the lower row and it contains the noise much, much better. So it becomes more private for the rest of the cabin, but the, but also for the passengers traveling with, with their newborns and, and young kids. Great. Yeah, because I think when you look at the picture, Alejandro, you know, you sort of see this, but I think, I guess it's when you actually sit in it, the physical product, then would you sort of actually get a sense of what the product is, right? Because this is something different. We've always been used to seats being traditional, Right. Traditional. So so some things about innovation always is something that doesn't, you know, sort of set well for people. But even when I look at Jeff's product, the Zephyr, right, it's like this double decker. You've got to climb up steps. Correct. Uh, I mean, you get your privacy, you get a sort of life flat bed. But how do you get served? You know, how, how do you sort of, you know, I mean, it's I'm a little confused with that. So. Before I actually designed any part of this, we actually did focus groups in a warehouse in Los Angeles. And we actually invited over different types of travelers. We also invited over different crew members, people who are actually flight attendants or cabin crew on various airlines from Los Angeles. And we asked them, we said, what are the trade-offs you think customers would be willing to make 
to afford more space and the ability to sleep. And all of you would be shocked to learn what trade-offs consumers will make for just a little bit more comfort, for a little bit more value, for a little bit more, I guess, equity. And in the same way that you, that you approach a short-haul flight, like a, like a low-cost airline like EasyJet or Ryanair, people complain about it, but they line up and continue to buy tickets. And they prepare accordingly, knowing exactly what the experience will be like. And it's because air travel is a commodity. There is not a lot of choice. So when we designed our product, it was designed knowing that people who would buy this product would already be paying for premium economy class. And if I can give them something better in the exact same space, why would they say no to that? There's absolutely no reason why they would say no. And if they do want to say no, they can always choose to sit in business class or economy. No one's forcing them to create a new normal. But because no one has attempted to create a new category or set a new standard in premium economy class, you, you know, using the vertical space, the industry doesn't really know how consumers will react. All we know is what we are used to and what we don't like. So my, my one rule when we were designing this was I said, you can complain about something, but only if you have an idea for a solution. So this is a solution to a problem that people have been complaining about for decades. Give me something more without charging me 10 times the price. Everyone in the world wants something better without paying for it. I don't care how rich you are. It's a universal truth. So this is meant to be a first test in the industry to see if consumers are actually willing to pay what they have told us they're willing to do and be willing to make the trade-offs. The only major trade-off we see with our concept, given that it's a bunk bed, is that certain types of travelers will be physically unable to climb into the second level. So by default, they would then occupy a seat on the lower level. That's the best we can do. This is not, we are not designing a, a seat that is perfect for every type of customer. We are a perfectly imperfect product. And that's how every airline seat should be. Couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And it's true that you get this question about accessibility a lot when you're trying to develop a, a seat that is not conventional. So that goes on two different levels. But at the end of the day, not everything is designed for everyone, you know, and you have to make trade-offs. And I think that's the word that we always have to keep in mind when we're talking about aircraft seats. There are trade-offs for almost everything. If you choose this material, that material, uh, space, armrest, headrest, everything is a trade-off. So I think that it's true what Jeffrey said. We cannot accommodate for everyone, but we can make the lower row more accessible than it's already nowadays in the economy, in premium economy class. So at the end of the day, if you are a PRM or a disabled passenger and you cannot access the upper level because you have a physical impediment, then you can have an easier access and probably cheaper access to the lower row seats uh, that will accommodate better for you than the current seats do nowadays. Uh, it's very easy to say no directly when you see something new. But I see, I think that the more that you prove something or the more that you work on something and the more people try it, the more they will use, get used to, to traveling like this. It's like as, as if I told you right now that cars from now on will have only two wheels. At first you will be like, no, I will never go on a car with two wheels because it will flip and whatever. But the more you see it and the more you get used to it, the more you can 
actually see that it will work in the future. So I think it's just a, a matter of trade-offs and making sure that there are some innovators within the industry, such as Jeffrey or myself, trying to push for new ideas that will change completely the market. I mean, nowadays you travel in any airline, all the products look the same. They have a, be a slightly better business class, a slightly better service, a slightly better premium economy, economy class, whatever. But if you look at the core of it, they can charge you three or four times more for almost the same. How is that possible? I mean, and even for economy class tickets nowadays, if you look at the prices, if I pay 600 euros in Madrid, I could get the best hotel room in the best hotel in Madrid for one night. And I can barely get a cheap economy class flight to go to the US, for example. So it doesn't make sense. You're paying so much for so little. So yeah, I mean, at the, the, at the end of the day, the point is traveling, you know, it doesn't really mean the experience. But if you want to be a premium airline, then you need to offer something that is 10 times better in experience in order to char charge three or four times more. And to be honest, nowadays, I don't see that happening. So you, you also asked David about the crew serviceability in a, in a vertically designed or a two level seating concept. So here, here's how we approach this was we asked cabin crew, what is the single biggest point of stress for you during a flight? And really it's, it's the majority of the meal service because most consume, most customers are very uncomfortable in their environments. They don't have a lot of space. They have to do a lot of reaching over to deliver meals to people in a, in a center seat. So by, by allowing more travelers to have direct aisle access, the accessibility and the reach between cabin crew and customer is minimized. It's actually reduced. And because the customers are happier, because they're getting a better product and they have a better experience, they're less demanding to the cabin crew. So for them, it's easier for them to do their job if their customers are happy about the environment that they're in. So it's very common sense, right? If you give, if you give someone a little bit more, then the needs of those customers change permanently. And in this case, if we're giving them a bed with complete privacy and direct dial access, their needs for everything else will be much less. And that, that, that makes the entire travel experience better for everyone involved, for the airport staff, for the baggage handlers, for the cabin crew, and also for the passengers. Just to clarify, in your product, passengers would need to book slots like similar to Air New Zealand concept that they are going to introduce? Or is it from takeoff to landing no, no. you have this uh, flat? Uh, yes, yeah, so, so, th so this, this is how our product is very different from Air New Zealand's. Air New Zealand's concept is only certified for in-flight use. And it can only benefit, I believe, six travelers at, at one point can be sleeping to, uh, you know, to utilize the beds. Our concept is what they call a taxi takeoff and landing approved space. So when you board the plane, you're in the space for the entire duration of the flight. So all we're doing is essentially taking that vertical space and we're stacking really what is most normalized as a, as a business class seat really on top of it. But we're reducing a lot of the weight, the kinematic movements, the electrical components, the um, operational you know, kind of complexities and minimizing that seat to be very basic in nature, therefore more lightweight more fuel efficient, less drag on the aircraft, more environmentally friendly. So these are all things that, that will happen as a natural result of that. But no, we are completely different from the Air New Zealand concept. Position this product 
product uh, as a premium economy product or more towards business class? This is still the part that I'm not clear because with Alejandro, it's clear. It's it's its economy, right? But what, what about your product? So um, this product essentially can occupy or upgrade the space where premium economy seats are because a standard premium economy seat configuration is 242 or 232 on a 7-8. On a so because we're maintaining a 242 seat arrangement, but we're, we're vertically stacking the seats, um, it could very easily replace a premium economy product. But more than likely, it will replace a business class product on a more leisure airline. So not a mainline carrier whose customers are more familiar with a business class experience, a premium economy, and economy. It will be kind of included or morphed into a premium product which would exist at the front of the plane. And then you'd have a, have a non-premium product in the back of the plane. But I mean, one, one topic that we're exploring, and I think Alex, you may be looking at this too, is that I think the industry needs to stop selling seats in classes of service. That's, that's part of the problem. So what, why should someone feel that they're in a superior class of service if you're all in the same metal tube together? I would rather sell experiences to a customer. So if you would like a bedroom experience because you want to sleep, I'll sell you an environment where sleeping is made very comfortable. If you want to be in a more social space and want to be more cost effective, I'll sell you a product that's more aligned with a premium economy class where, you know, it's more wide open, it's not as premium, but you're still getting a little bit of an upgrade. So really it's about trying to tailor the physical seats and the nomenclature around classes of service to more about selling what people want. And people's needs, you know, again, are very basic. They're not, they're not complex. So we're, we're kind of exploring how we would call this more of an experienced product, not a class of service, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, and then I, I think we are on the same road because we are, we are at Cheslon, we are exactly doing the same. We are exploring not economy premium or business class. We're exploring upselling points for the economy class, for the premium economy, and then in the future, who knows? But the thing is that you cannot really put a name to every class and consider that the economy class of the best airline is the same as the economy class of the worst airline. But the thing is that they are called the same. So how would they be different? And they look the same, to be honest. So how would they be different? Uh, the idea would be that when you have different types of seating, you can really tailor areas of your aircraft for different types of passengers. Because one thing that we see nowadays is that the airplane flying between the Middle East and Asia is the same plane that is flying from the US to Europe. And I mean, even the food is different. So how can not the, the traditions, the way of seating be different between cultures? Uh, and if I fly to, to Asia from the Middle East, I would like to have that experience of different culture even on the aircraft, not just sitting on the same tube that I sat when I was flying to the US from Madrid. So the idea is that uh, airlines in the future uh, will have to start uh, making choices and deciding what type of experience they want to give their passengers. Not all the airlines will have our seats, my, my seats or Jeff, Jeff's seats, you know, but the idea is that some airlines, the disruptive airlines, and the ones that really want to bring something new to their passengers will decide to create a wider product offering within their cabins. Because it's very nice to have an, an economy class, a premium economy and a business class, and that's it. 
But what makes you different from the others? The service? I mean, you just need to give better food and better drinks. And that's about it, because what's service otherwise? Yeah, absolutely agree with you. And, you know, uh, you got me thinking about one time that I flew uh, on uh, 3.30. I flew in economy uh, one way and premium economy way back. And in economy, I was lucky I didn't have a neighbor. So I made a kind of nest for myself and slept very well. You know, it was 3.30, so it was two seats. So I've got entire row. Amazing. And on my way back, I flew in premium economy and I had a neighbor, so I had much less space. I felt also like I had, uh, I was not so comfortable, you know, like my neighbor was snoring. Okay, this could happen in every class, but still the point is in economy, I felt much better and actually more premium experience that time than in what's called premium economy. So. I cannot agree with you more that it's about experiences. And I think it also comes down, even if you if you look uh, into regional flights and short-haul flights in narrow-body aircraft nowadays, the economy and the business class are exactly the same seats with two different colors that make the difference. And maybe they block the seats in the middle, but the seats are the same. And the seat pitch varies in, what, two, three inches, six, eight centimeters, more or less? Like, is that really worth 200 euros dollars more i don't think so i don't think so i think more seats need to be in the market and i think that the players have been very comfortable until now because of course the seat manufacturers there are only so many you know you can count them with the with the two hands and they have been very comfortable developing the exact same product with slight variations but now we have two outsiders, two players coming from, from the outside with no fear to challenge the industry and with the great ambition of, of changing how people fly and actually trying to improve their, their experience. Uh, of course, uh, some people prefer to stay uh, where we are, but I mean, close your eyes and think about traveling in 2050, 2060. You, do you still see the same economy, premium economy and business class seats in the aircraft of the future? Come on. Things have to evolve and, and we are here to push that evolution because if you look at the at the seating industry, it hasn't really changed that much for the past 30 years. So why would they do it in the next 30? But then, uh, Alejandro, that's my question then, right? So there are two questions actually. One is, of course, going back to what Jeff spoke about and the, the you know New Zealand pods about the certification side of it. So that's that's a big sort of, I would call it a hurdle that you have to get through. Apart from that, the industry has been very insular, right? I, I've worked for many airlines before and we like the way things are. If it's not broken, why change it? Why bother? Why change it? Why bother? You know, get the people in the seat, forget the experience, give them a meal, boom, fine. You know, get the volumes in, get the numbers in. So you got, and I know in one of your other discussions that you had, you're all over the place, right? Because it's about the visibility, but it's also about connecting with the decision makers. So you, like you said, you know, you've got these handful of decision makers that actually could make, and I won't use the word break, I would call the word innovate. But the challenge is, that's where the challenge is, right? This is how we have always done things. Yes, oh wow, the industry was booming, COVID came, everyone, you know, panicked, right? And then now COVID is over, economy tickets are touching the sky, flights are full, Let's not worry about innovation. People will come anyway. Let's forget it, right? Till the next. 
So the two questions is one is the timelines, right? We keep talking about, you know, things will happen, 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 happen. Five years, 10 years, 15 years, right? So how long do you see? Because your concepts, both your concepts are really different, are really, really different. But what are the timelines that we're talking about? Hmm. It's a great question. It always depends on money and and support, you know, from, from companies and from the big players. I guess that a, a normal seating certification takes around one to two years. And that's normal seating that has been developed for over the past 30 years. So I'm guessing that for us will take a little bit more between two and five years, depending on the complexity of what we want to achieve. Uh, but what I'm sure is that uh, these players will have to change at some point because, you know, new airlines are coming up and will be coming up in the in the coming years. And if the if the established airlines don't want to change, then there will be people who want to change. And there are people who are crazy enough to want to change a yeah, whole industry. And I think it will happen. It will just happen. If you want to be part of the game, then great. And if you don't want to be part of the game, then maybe it's another case of Nokia when they were competing against Apple and Samsung, right? They didn't want to change the phone. Now they, there are no Nokia phones around anymore. So True, true, very true. Jeff? Um, I, have, I have a different opinion about that because I actually think that airlines will always be around, unfortunately, and that they're, they're, they're like cockroaches. They will, they will outlive all of us despite the fact that they have terrible service and terrible products. I don't believe that either of our products are suitable for any airline currently flying today. I, I just believe that there's so much about corporate culture, about how people think, about how consumers um, associate themselves with different brands, or in this case, different airlines. And having to make changes to that are too expensive and way too risky for any existing airline. My opportunity, what I want to focus on is I want to be in a position to say yes, not to have to wait for someone to say yes to me. So if I can create an environment where I can build a new platform or a new airline myself, then I can design the future that I'm, that I'm thinking of. And I don't have to ask somebody else for permission. I can say yes to myself. I can say yes to every other innovator that has new ideas that does not have a home to try them out, but has a different way of thinking about how they could be better. And I could say yes to them too. So I think the airline industry itself will probably never change as we know it. It's going to, re it's going to require new companies, new technologies, and new airlines, new solutions to come into the market to force airlines to adapt and hopefully take some market share from them, create a, you know, create a culture, create a subculture, a cult following of people doing things differently. And you can see the type of reaction people have to both of our products. End users love it because it's different. It's, it's, it's a different way of trying something which they know to be the same for so long. And in, in the case of my product, bunk beds existed 35 years ago. So they actually are not a new concept. They were flying before airlines deregulated in the year 1970 and 80. So this is not a new concept. And now that Air New Zealand is coming out with a concept, they're going to be doing a lot of the lifting for us. They're going to be testing a lot of these theories and they could fail, they could succeed, I don't know. But it's a good precedent. It's a good example of how we can make things better and, and, and improve on technologies. 
but I believe, and, and I've spoken to almost every airline, I don't want to wait for someone to say yes. That's, that's not a, a sustainable startup business model. You want to create your, you know, you want to manifest the reality that you want to create. And to do that, you have to have resources, capital, influence, and a platform to do something different. And so that's what I'm focused on. And if that fails, that's fine because consumers are not going to judge me or Alex for trying to make their lives better when they travel and failing because no one else is even trying, right? So, <laughs> I mean, you know, in, in this case, the bar is very, very low. So that's, that's, my, that's my approach. And it may take a lot longer. In my case, certification for my product will probably be three years. So that would be entry into service for an operator or a customer of this seat, probably about four, probably about four years, best case scenario. And that would include focus groups, testing, iterations, installations, TSOs, STCs, everything. That's a long time, but you know, you're looking at supersonic jets like Boom Aviation. They've been working on this for already seven years. They won't even launch with a prototype for the next five to seven. So things take time, but you have to stay committed. You have to, you have to persevere. You have to be loyal to who you're working for. And I'm not working for airlines. I'm working for customers. People who travel, who are miserable, that's my audience. I don't care what airlines think. If they don't agree with it, then they can compete against it when it exists somewhere else. That's my approach. I couldn't agree more. And I think we are on the same page. Uh, there are not many guys like us in the industry and we are actually feeling like, yeah, the industry doesn't want to change yet. So I think we need the, the help of new players, of players that want to be there to make an impact. And at the end of the day, the ones that are remembered are not the ones that stay the same, you know, are the ones that, tr that try to bring uh, a change to the industry and a change to the world. So I think... I think we will be in that pack. If it succeeds, succeeds, then everyone will be able to enjoy it and be happy with it. If it doesn't, then we've made our greatest effort uh, to put it out there flying. And definitely what we are sure of is that we did our best. So that's the only thing I can say when this is over. Totally agree. <laughs> I, I really, if I had to clap, yeah, I, I have to clap. You, you Let's make clap. me feel so ashamed. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 make me, you make me feel so ashamed of myself, you know, being in the industry for so long, but it's always been, oh, revenue management, how can you get more booking classes? How can you do this? How can you do that? You know, I'm just thinking aloud after this conversation is, you know, we've never thought out of the box, right? We have always thought this is how a low cost model is. This is how a full service carrier sort of operates. And we've also been sort of conditioned to that. This is how the industry operates. But I think, you know, we're reaching a tipping point where the change has to come, you know, uh, the change will come. And when I listen to both of you, and I'm sure Alex will agree that, you know, it's really been something that's been inspiring. But I also just hope and pray that, you know, that success is yours you know it's not it's not be for the lack of trying because i know you are really really so passionate about what you'll do and all we can say is really wish you all success but alex we're not ended we just got a few more minutes more do you have time for a quick question in uh before we run out of time i yeah i mean we have so many questions we barely covered just you know like a third or fourth <laughs> of it and yeah i mean we, we 
We have yeah. to do a round two. Yeah, we have to do <laughs> yeah. a round two. So that's what I was going to suggest. It's just I don't think, you know, if I squeeze one more question, it will make a big difference. Um, it, I think it was a great uh, and inspiring conversation. You are absolutely right. Airline industry is not open to innovation in most aspects of it. I even think of this Finair's uh, non-recliner seat. How, how much critique they've got. It, it's a beautiful seat and people loved it, but how much critique they've got that it's just not reclining. So, some innovation happened and already so much negative response initially, right? So I, I, I'm just saying this because I can't imagine how much, how tough it is for you to push this forward, to get it certified, to pitch it to airlines. And what I only can do from my side is just to wish you best of luck. And hopefully with our podcast, we also contribute a little bit to spreading the word about uh, you too. Well, th thank you so much for that. The only thing that I can say from my side, but I'm sure that Jeffrey is also on, 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 uh, with this on, with me, is that uh, we have role models and those role models are, are the game changers of the world. They're the guys that were seen as crazy at first, but then with the pass of time, you start seeing that they were very right about their thoughts and about their ideas before they were implemented. And with that, for me, for example, I have Steve Jobs when he presented Apple and the computer and everything. He got a lot of criticism, but look now where Apple is and how what he has been able to bring uh, from that little device that he presented uh, at first. And look at Elon Musk. He talked about electric cars. Uh, everyone thought he was going to fail. Look at him now. He's launching rockets. So it's just a matter of uh, keep going, keep going and not, don't listen to the noise. Uh, there are a lot of good constructive criticism out there we listen to that and we take it in but in, in in terms of that yeah noise and people who say no it won't happen then okay just sit and watch because we will make it happen in one way or another i'll i'll leave you with with one other thought is that when when you usually start a business you have to figure out if you have a product market fit at least they use this term in mostly technology companies it's called pmf product market fit In the case of both of our concepts, there's unlimited demand. There are consumers who are waiting in a line, who have been waiting in the same line for 10 years, saying, yes, please. I will take the product that you've built. When can I buy a seat in your airplane or on your product? So I, I live by this, this quote from Yoda, and it's, do or do not, there is no try. So at some point, someone's going to have to do something and stop using lip service to say we're trying and actually just take the risk and do it. And if it fails, it fails. But if it fails, it's usually going to fail for very good reason. So that's, I mean, and we'll continue with that, with that belief, at least I can, I can say that for myself until something happens, but hopefully not too much longer. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. And to all our listeners about that, guys, ladies, it's... P doesn't stand for planes. P doesn't stand for passengers. P doesn't stand for product. P doesn't stand for processes. P stands for the people, the people that actually make the difference. And I think when we look up at a plane, let's say, wow, but when you actually look at the people behind the plane, great. And here's a reminder, there may be thousands of planes in the sky every day, but there are actually millions of seats in the sky every single day. 
So, you know, here's to the seats. So, you know, where we, are, where we talk about seat geeks, right, Alex? Rather than, than, than just aviation geeks. Right. Yeah, I think we will leave our listeners with this. P for people. And uh, thank you guys once again for, for, for you know, being our guests. And hopefully we're going to do a round two very time soon. Definitely. Yes, please. Thank you both for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you.